Hello again, it's been a while, actually, before Christmas. Uh, we're still waiting for movement on providing Evershelt for everyone who needs it. There's no alternative for many of the forgotten 500,000. Uh, we need to keep the push on. Welcome back to Ripples and the chance to hear again the virtual village hall run by the podcast in conjunction with Dr. Leonard Lee of the University of Oxford. Oh, and of course, I'm your host, Claire English. You may have heard us already on Twitter Spaces on Friday morning. We wanted to update you and remind ourselves, perhaps, that although the Westminster government hasn't changed its mind on Evershell provision via the NHS, there has been some progress. And that's because of some wonderful participants in these online Twitter Space events and the podcast. They're all doing what they can to keep the pressure up. I'm indebted to the patients, campaigners, carers, clinicians, research scientists, families and friends who are helping in this endeavour. I don't want to keep you waiting. You probably know by now that we like to give you the warts and all version of the recording from Friday, which hundreds of you have already viewed. So thank you for that. Now, for those who missed it, let's begin with what I like to think of as our charmingly ramshackle start to the live streaming. Brace, brace. First up, me and Dr. Leonard Lee as we get the buttons pressed and tee up the live event. There are a lot of topics to get through. Hopefully, you find it useful. This is why we needed a tech specialist. We've got Len. Indeed, yeah, indeed. but we might not. This is why we need a tech specialist. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so I think we're live now. So I'll hand over to Claire. I hope we're live. Hello, everyone. It's uh, lovely to be back. It's been a bit of a while. I think the last time we all met together in this virtual space was well before Christmas and lots of things were happening. Lots of things weren't happening. So before we go any further, I'm Claire English. I'm, as usual, hosting this with Dr. Leonard Lee. So I'm going to go around the panel, get them to introduce themselves very briefly, just to remind you in case you've forgotten our delightful faces and voices. So first of all, Leonard, who the heck are you? I'm a cancer doctor at the University of Oxford. Excellent. Mark. Morning. Uh, one of the co-leaders of the campaign group Evershell for the UK. Excellent. Patrick. Hi, I'm Patrick Cook. I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a, a, a leukemia uh, sufferer for the last um, 20 years and uh, keenly interested in, uh, in this debate. And Blanche. Oh, Blanche, you're on mute. That's not like you. Hang on. Well, no, no, it's just because just I'm brilliant, that's all. Um, so Blanche Hampton, um, lupus um, on a view shell trial, um, obviously very keen on what's happening in this space. Absolutely. And finally, but last but definitely not least, delightful to see you, Alex. Who are you? Hi, I'm Alex Richter. I'm a clinical immunologist up in Birmingham. Um, I look after patients who, who are immune vulnerable and have been very obviously active in the COVID space and um, how, how we manage COVID in the immune vulnerable. It's brilliant to have you all with us today. And um, I'm going to get started by really asking how everyone is, because there hasn't been an awful lot of movement, I think, on this. Uh, however, it's um, it's been a tough time because Christmas is a tough time. And if you were getting Evershelled, that's great, but that's not entirely the full story. And if you weren't getting Evershelled, it must have been a really stressy time as well. So oof, it's interesting because actually from our three patients that are joining us today, you are all getting Evershelled, but for different reasons. So 
Patrick, can I start off with you? How was Christmas? Was it different from the one that you feared or expected? Um, well, no, Christmas wasn't very different for me, really. We, um, we'd sort of planned a, a sort of fairly quiet family one in any case, not very different from last, last year. But um, over the new year, I did something very adventurous for me, which was uh, it's a group of oh, about 17 of uh, old university friends who get together every couple of years. Uh, we rent a rent a, a big house, and I had been imagining that I wouldn't be able to to to, to join in that. But we did so. We had a, a room that was a little bit away from the others, but we did join them uh, for quite a lot of the uh, activity. Sort of, we had dinner with them. We sat at one end of a very very long table, a little bit like uh, Putin and, and Macron. Um, <laughs> but we did we 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 did join in in a way that. Um, I wouldn't have done without having having Eddie Shells, I think. So there's no difference. It's, yeah. uh, it's not a not an enormous difference, but it it, it does does make things better. It allows you to dip your toe in the pool of normality. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Blanche, what about you? We'll go on to talk about your trial stuff, but what, what was your Christmas light, Blanche? Because at that point nothing had happened, yeah? Well, and and that's what happened. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. What was your Christmas like? I know you listen, she, doesn't, she doesn't like Christmas, everyone, anyway. But no, no, no. no. It, it's not exactly a great loss in 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 my mind. Um, but no, there was absolutely nothing. I didn't see anyone. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't walk out the door. Um, so no, I was just, uh, especially since having had COVID, um, I'm still really suffering from it. And the idea of getting it again at this point. Uh, I just couldn't face it. So no, I chose not to see anyone. Okay, Mark, um, you've got Evershelled now, and that was a big decision for you. And everyone maybe thinks when they've not got it, this is this is a maybe not a panacea, but it's going to solve a lot of problems. But actually, a lot of other stuff comes into play, doesn't it? When you get this opportunity, because, well, how's it been for you? Tell me. Um. I mean, Christmas was good in itself. I had my, my mother came to stay, my 91-year-old mother, and we had my daughter over as well, um, which, which was great. First time in three years. Um, but, yeah, it it kind of, once you had it and you start getting out there, it, it started to rip away, it's a bit like an onion. It starts to rip away some of the layers. And it's you realise what you've been through. And I've I've really struggled with it. And, you know, I'll, I'll be quite open. I, I've... I'm just starting some counselling now just to try and try and sort myself out after three years. Um, is it like is it like being oh. hyper vigilant the whole time and then suddenly it's the different scenario or do you still feel that you're hyper vigilant even though you've got this protection? It, it's that moving from that hyper vigilant to, to, to being less vigilant. You're still, you know, still being very careful. You know, I mean, I, I, last week, I, I, you know, I walked into our small local Tesco's the first time I've been there for three years. And it, it was really weird looking, standing in front of the chocolate shelf, looking at all the different chocolates that you could actually pick up and touch and decide to buy. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's just now having to deal with the legacy for me and, and, and my family and my children and everything. And you know, it's a damn sight better than it was, but it, it, it's 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 a lot of things to deal with. But it's it's absolutely the, the point that everybody makes, misses, perhaps, is that we think it's a physical thing, but so much of this is psychological. So much of this is about your mental health. Um, maybe that's something that we don't talk about enough, Mark, and that's something that should be 
front of, of the conversation that we're having as well. And it's great that you have been honest and said you've struggled. Uh, I don't know if Alex or Len want to come in here and just say this is something that maybe clinicians don't take as much. I don't know. Maybe they do pay attention to it. What do you think, Alex? I'm very aware of it. You know, all my patients are immune vulnerable and, you know, I hear really distressing stories every single clinic I'm in at the moment about the impact that, you know, this label of immune vulnerability is, 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 is having on them. I, you know, to some extent, my patients have always been immune vulnerable, but I think there's almost been a, a, a coming of age with an official label and an official recognition and of this vulnerability, it is it is very difficult because, of course, it's not just COVID that the immune vulnerable are vulnerable to. It's yeah. all infections. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it, it's how we live and, and manage with that. When I meet patients, you see, we go on a journey together and, and, you know, very much it's about how we control their infections and then how they how they live with that. And I said, you know, going into COVID, some of my patients are probably some of the best trained patients with, with immune deficiency in the country because this is what we do as immunologists. But actually we now recognize immune vulnerability is much wider than the patients that I look after in the immune vulnerability sphere. And it's how we communicate and we educate and we support and we understand that sliding scale of risk. But obviously Claire, um, you know, this is what I was trained to do. And this this is this is part of my, you know, my package of care, whereas that's slightly different in different specialties because they've never really had to address this in quite the same way. Len. Oh, I agree. And the most amazing thing about this is that there's a group of people which have come together, 500,000 UK sharing their stories and actually talking. And my cancer patients, primary deficiency people, people with autoimmune disease. And they're starting to be listened to. Um, and I think they did that last year. Um, hundreds of people entering trials, hundreds of people getting private prescribing for themselves. Um, they've really got the attention of pharmaceutical industries who continue to protect them. Um, and um, it's really exciting to see that they've made the case for Evishell 2 to be developed, which is fantastic. And I guess the final step which is missing now is you've got the doctors listening to you, you're listening to each other, you've got the drugs available. The question is, when are we going to take the big decisions now? And when will these drugs be thought about and discussed? Immunization. Alex is going to say something. Alex, yeah, jump in. I was just going to say, you know, we, we in the NHS, I mean, it's been well reported that the just lack of capacity that we have and that we have been overwhelmed this winter at the detriment of patient care. But winter pressures happen every single year. And the reason we have winter pressures is because the immune vulnerable get infections. So we have in a moment in time, we, we, you know, we have a window on our community at the moment. And I think it's really important that we translate this, not just for COVID, but how are we going to support the immune vulnerable every winter from an infection point of view to enable them to stay out of hospital and stay safe? Yeah, that's a blank spot at the moment that has to be addressed. Okay, we're, we're really going to watch the time this week. We're going to try and go for another 15, 20 minutes. And I've got to use you properly, Alex, because you've got to be off. Let's talk about NICE. There was a, a virtual meeting and uh, you were in on that, Alex, and so were you, Blanche. Uh, so this is uh, NICE for England and Wales only, meeting attended by Blanche and Dr. Alex. It was a really packed agenda. But what jumped out at me when I got briefed a little bit by Blanche about this was there seemed to have been a bit of a tension between the 
in vitro, the lab people, the scientists that do their trials in the lab and the real world clinicians. Is that fair, Alex? Is it as much, am I over-egging it to say there's a bit of a schism here? Oh, it's, it's not a schism, but it, it, we're trying to work out what to do. And I think the regulators are trying to work out what to do. Um, the difficulty we have with COVID is that the variant landscape is changing all the time. Every month, every two months, we're dealing with a different problem. Now, the usual way that we would check that a drug works is that we would do a study. We would look to see how good it is at protecting against infection. And then we would report on that. But that takes two years. We've only got a month to change what we're doing all the time. And so our whole process and the way that we're doing things is different. And some of the ways that we um, we kind of speed that process up is by seeing whether we can use surrogate laboratory tests to map what's happening in the clinical world. And so that's kind of what's happened. Um, what's you know we they've tried to use what we call neutralization data as evidence for whether there is protection against some of these newer variants. Now, the data that was presented showed that for some of the earlier Omicron variants, that there was a real disconnect between neutralization and real world data. In what way? Tell me why. Sorry, yeah. My, um, so what that shows is whilst there might be poor neutralization, actually there was still maybe 80% protection against hospitalization and death. So That's significant, isn't it? Because then you're missing a trick, an opportunity to help people in the real world. You are missing a trick. But how do we how how do regulators deal with that disconnect? Now, what it's, what they're trying to do is is understand, well, if there is some loss of neutralization, can you then extrapolate from that that actually there, there might well be some significant clinical protection in the real world? But what happens when in um, lab tests, there is absolutely no neutralization at all. So if, if the, let's say the Evershield antibody, which everyone's heard about, cannot even bind, um, you know, the virus, then actually, how can it do anything in the real world is what they were struggling with. And they were trying to present data that actually the variant landscape at the moment is that actually maybe up to 80% of the variants circulating, the, the Evershell's not binding at all to. So there are some arguments around this. So I think the committee really accepted that there was a difference between the lab data and the real world data. But I think there is still significant uncertainty as to how we deal with that and how they've never been in this position before, NICE. There's they're learning here. It, and they do understand that they've got to find a way through this. Um, and, you know, I think there are going to be a lot of discussions. And, you know, the meeting went on between the morning and the afternoon meetings. I think we were on for 10 hours. Um, and there was a lot of discussion around this. And I think some of that length of time reflects how difficult this decision making is. I, you know, I get it from NICE's point of view that, you know, they don't want to offer false hope to patients by offering a treatment that has absolutely no part to play at the moment. And the decision they've got to make is from the extrapolated evidence, is there any benefit at all at this moment in time? 
The other thing that we pointed out was, is that um, actually they need to find a way of getting through this in a much more agile way. You know, there's Evertestrial 2 coming on board. There's another drug, Citrovimab. Some of you might have heard about the PROTECT-V study. And there was complete concern that, you know, Citrovimab didn't work at all unless you gave it in very high doses. But actually, even the lab testing now suggests that it may have more protection now against some of the variants that are out at the moment. So... This is a very nuanced discussion, isn't it, Alex? And it does sound like this conversation must continue in, in public as well, because people need to know that this is a live issue that's being discussed. Lena, I want you to jump in very briefly and give your comments, and then I'm going to come to Blanche and get her observations. Alex Lena. made a great point there. I mean, what everyone's saying is that lab measures are not the most helpful, um, but everyone agrees that we must protect the immunovulnerable and we must do it fast, which is great news for the Forgotten 500 Okay, That's what we've been saying for the last six months and Marks and Nicola and Martin have been pushing along with Blanche and Patrick. Um, fantastic news. Blanche, patient, sitting there, listening to this conversation, having sat through quite, in fact, most of that yesterday, didn't you? Blanche, come on. Uh, yes, it was very tiring. Um, so I, I guess apart from the, the issue of the, you know, Petri dish versus clinicians, um, there there is the question of, um, the variant changes and how some variants, uh, the variant changes seem to move backwards and forwards. It's not only in one direction, according to what I understood. What do you mean by that, Blanche? Well, so you might have a variant that's dominant today. It might not be dominant in three weeks, but it might come back again in a couple of months. So just because at a... Um, a medicine like Evusheld or Citrovimab or whatever isn't working today on the made on the dominant um, variant. That doesn't mean it won't. And for people, oh, you're frozen, Blanche. Come back. No, you're okay. Speak. Good. And for, but for people who have absolutely nothing, I would still rather have it than not have it. I will still protect myself. I mean, this was the idea that I actually found quite insulting as a patient, that, you know, if you give us something that's a bit questionable, we're going to race outside and do crazy things. Um, and we're not. We've lived as immunocompromised people for a long time, most of us. And, you know, most of us survived not, not getting COVID. I was unlucky recently, but there you go. Um, but the point of it is, we know how to behave um, and you just tell us, you know, that currently this isn't, this is doing zero. Do you still want it? If we say yes, that's our choice. Um, and we, and we will understand, but it's better that the, that we work through this system of how to approve these things quickly um, because this will keep going. This is not going to go away. And we so, must resolve this issue. That's the key issue. So learning from this, being more agile and maybe breaking down the barriers between the in vitros and the clinicians, uh, because actually it's all about the patient. And I guess you could argue, and maybe I'm being really unfair here to the in vitros, but if you're seeing a patient and seeing the real world effects on their life, does that it does that do something to your your psychology the way you think about what you're doing Alex you've got your hand up 
what I would like to reassure the community on is that the point was made and accepted that there was an unmet need. There was an unmet need that our forgotten 500 have been forgotten and there are issues not being addressed. So I really want to reassure the committee that that was understood and they realized based on Blanche's point, and we tried to make that point that, you know, something might be better than nothing. And that, you know, it. I hope that that is kind of reassuring that the, the, the decision makers are realizing that something needs to happen in this space. But that mindset thing, can I ask you about that, Alex? I know, yeah. I know it's awkward politically, but is it different? Is it a different mindset when you're working in vitro in a lab and you're doing something that, you know, you're not up against the actual patient? Does that change the way you approach a problem? Um, I think it, they can only give their data. And, you know, we've got different people here. The difficulty here is the decision makers have to synthesize that data and understand that what the, the importance of that data is and how they should weight it in their decision making. So actually, I don't blame, you know, the scientists are doing their job and they're doing it to the best of their ability. Um, it's actually how the decision makers look and consider all of that. So let's hope they're listening and they will change how they think about things. It sounds from what you're saying that it is a live discussion and it is going to go on. Alex, I'm going to let you go because otherwise you're going to be late for your next meeting. It's been wonderful having you with us. Thank you very, very much indeed. Uh, we'll move on. I don't know if Ma um, Mark and Patrick want to comment on anything you've heard off the back of that. Uh, Mark, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually sat through and listened to it as well. We had a, a direct link with one of the, the patient experts, so we were kind of feeding him at the same time. Um, I, I thought, in, in, in all honesty, I thought it was quite balanced both the morning and the afternoon. There, there were some things that were frustrating. and I, I kind of agree with Blanche. It's, you know, trying to get the message across, which I think people like Alex and, and Tony did really well. Um, one of the things that they got kind of bogged down in was, well, when do we, when do we use this if we approve it? And it's kind of, let's keep waiting for that optimum moment. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. And it... It, it can't be done it's it, you know people need it now people need that hope people need that protection and you know that that was the message that we were desperately trying to get across um yeah, so yeah I, we'll, we'll just see what what comes out but I, as alex said they they did seem to get a lot of the message across and and there did seem to be quite a leaning towards what's happening in the real world as opposed to you know what's happening in a petri dish that that seemed to be quite, for most, uh, most of the panel, quite a unified view, I think. Interesting. Patrick, I don't know if you want to comment on this briefly. Um, just just quickly, no, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that these issues, which to me have been hidden to, um, for so long, um, are actually being pro properly, um, properly discussed. Um, and the, the fact that um, there is that there must be so much information out in the real world there about how Shield has performed, um, and is 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 performing, and none of it really seems to see the light of day. And I know it's difficult to do that, but um, it's, it's very good to hear that these things are being discussed now. One more thing, Blanche, before we leave this subject: Do we know when Nice are going to come back and make a decision? Have we got a time scale for that? Or, um, so the final report is due on the fourth of April, according to their website today. Mark, uh, Mark saying something different? No, we had an email yesterday, so we've been told from direct from NICE that the stakeholders will be notified next Tuesday, which is the 31st. 
But that's oh. the draft guidance, isn't it? Aren't they going to do no, a draft guidance that's, first? That's what we've been told. The decision will come out next Tuesday to us. Oh, wow. Well. Okay. Oh, well, that's um, good. Wow, exciting. So we will see. Um, Let's see what happens there. I'm going to move the agenda on because we're probably going to overshoot the runway with timings anyway, but it's been fascinating hearing what we've heard so far. I hope you agree it's been fascinating. Um, Blanche, uh, since we last talked, um, you've been on a trial journey. So very briefly, potted history, what happened? How did you get on it and what's going on with you? So this is the rapid protection trial um, to... Uh, look at the impact on efficacy of Evusheld in combination with vaccines. Um, so uh, there were three, 350 places UK-wide and I was extraordinarily lucky to be able to get on, particularly as I don't live in England. I live in Scotland. You had to and, make it down there on your own, under your own steam. Uh, yes, well, it was also a time of train strikes and bad weather and all sorts of stuff and I had a fantastic neighbour who offered to drive me there and back. Who's and been so, on this and on this virtual village hall as well. Uh, just amazing. Five hours there, five hours back. I mean, it was it was a very big what deal. What happened when you got there? Tell us what the procedure was. So I uh, met the lead researcher who looked at my paperwork, examined me physically, um, sort of, you know, raised an eyebrow and said, well, I'm not surprised really. Um, then then um, the next day I had the Evusheld. I've also offered extra um, biological samples, blood and whatever it is they need for their biobank uh, because I believe that if you have a free healthcare system that this is one way you can contribute to it as a patient is by increasing the knowledge with the increase in knowledge come more drugs and this is how the whole cycle moves so they were lovely they were very pleasant um it wasn't stressful at all i got given a very exciting patient id number with a 007 in front i felt <laughs> i felt very cool for about 3 seconds um and so I've had my follow-up phone call a couple of days ago um, to make sure that I haven't, you know, passed away in the meantime. Um, but no, that that you know, they were pleased to know that I was still here. So you get uh, and, and you get the vaccination as well. Right? Yes, yes, I got, got the vaccination straight away, and um, that was good. Oh no, no, pardon me. Vaccination is in a fortnight. Okay. So um, two weeks, I go back. I get the vaccination. And then the visits thereafter are to take blood, to, to check, to see what's happening in my blood, to see if, you know, there is this hoped for overlap um, between the vaccines and Evusheld. This will be my seventh vaccination. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that it actually does something. Um, going to be interesting but I've got to ask you two questions one how do you feel psychologically having joined this trial now and also how do you physically feel because I know you've you've not had a great spell but anyway. well psychologically it was great it was lovely to be out um and it was good to, that I was with a, somebody who was happy to test every day and mask every day when they were with me um so I felt in her car I felt safe and I felt safe um, just, you know, uh, it, it, 
everything that was around me felt okay. So that felt good. I have no greater urge to rush out and do things because I'm not well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is an ongoing difficulty for me to do with my immunosuppressant drugs and the troubles that I have managing them. That's that's a separate issue. So three uh, years for rapidprotectionstudy.co.uk, basically. Well, there is that, but the, I, can I also say that they are divided into um, the patients they need are divided into different groups and the auto people who have autoimmune diseases are underrepresented. And so they would really like some more people like me because um, I'm so special. Um, and so, yes, so any more special autoimmune people out there, they're looking for a few more. So there are there is the possibility of having Evusheld if you fit into that category. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, for heaven's sake, get in touch. So it's www.rapid-protectionstudy, all one word, .co.uk. I'll say that again, www.rapid-protectionstudy.co.uk. UK. Absolutely brilliant. We're going to move on. Um, some more action uh, politically this time. Mark, you're going to be giving evidence, aren't you? A Scottish Parliament Select Committee that's coming up soon. Yes. Yeah. February the 8th, I believe it is off the top of my head. How are you feeling about that? Because, OK, this is a devolved parliament that's doing this. Um, it could be interesting because we're not quite clear what the stance is from the Scottish Parliament, because we always assumed that they had to follow suit with Westminster, but do they? Do we know any more? Uh, I, to be honest, I'm still waiting to have the agenda come through because it got pushed back by a week. It was supposed to be on February 1st. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what the agenda is, but I will just do my normal, um, just turn up and speak my mind, to be honest. But it's another opportunity, um, isn't it, to get this issue out there and aired in a political setting. I'm just wondering, has anything happened at Westminster we should know about? Because I know House of Lords, there was a, one of the peers in particular was very keen to push Evershield. What's going on down there? Uh, well, obviously, it's it's been sort of the Christmas recess coming back from as a group. We got a direct um, letter from Will Quince's office. Health um, Minister, yeah. Yeah, who's the minister responsible for this, um, which was a bit of, you know, that's probably the first one we've had that's actually come direct for us. Um, basically recognising the campaign, saying they were aware of it and that they do want to engage um, with the patient groups and try and sort of move forward on this. We've since sent a letter back to them. So we're again in that kind of void of waiting to see what happens. Um, and we know that that the people we're working with in Parliament have also had some sort of movement on this. So we are a little bit more hopeful than we've been before that we might be starting to see a chink in the armour and, and getting some sort of meeting. But Len, you feel that, that this is this is becoming a, an issue that's not going to go away in Parliament, yeah? No, I think this is really important for so many people, their families, their friends, their relatives, their grandparents, everyone's really getting behind this. And actually, the numbers of letters, if you do a quick search, I think there's no other medical issue which has raised so many issues in Parliament as this. I think that's what there was counted, actually, hundreds of letters. And actually, that's how democracy works, isn't it? Absolutely. Now we're going to we're getting to the end of our time here. Patrick, I do believe you've got news about a placard. You're going to have to tell us more. Well, this is something that Len really um, set up. So this is um, uh, my uh, placard that was at the uh, the vigil in um, uh, in uh, Parliament Square back in October, I think. 
Um, so Len has uh, helped to uh, um, un unearth that, and uh, it's going to appear in a, um, um, a small um, exhibition or small sort of um, stand at, at an exhibition at the in Oxford at the um, History of Science Museum. Um, and uh, I w uh, went along there again. All, all this is down to Len's uh, excellent contacts and, uh, and setting things up. Uh, so I went along there earlier this, this week and um, handed over, sort of formally, as it were, I suppose, handed over the uh, the placard to Tina Eyre, who is um, running this part of the um, uh, of the uh, the, uh, the museum. So I think she's in charge of um, uh, what is it, contemporary um, events, and the moment with a spe specific focus on COVID. And um, she gave um, my wife and myself a, a brief tour of her uh, of her. Um, uh, the, the little little exhibition that she's she's putting on there. Uh, it's still very much in the early stages, but there are a number of um, of, uh, of pieces there that are um, bringing out uh, elements of the COVID story with a particular focus on on Oxford's and um, and the, the, the the local areas there. So there's there's quite a, a big piece on um, Sarah Gilbert and the the Oxford effort around the vaccines. Um, so it's it's coming along quite well. I think she, she she's still sort of looking for exactly how to put it all together and um, uh, and what parts um, my uh, ugly picture will, uh, will, will, will play in, in, in it all. Um, Your mugshot's all over uh, it. <laughs> and did he do any, and as, as my daughter would put it, do they want any more shizzle from anybody? Do they want any stuff? Are they looking for more exhibition stuff to fill their display or are they done with that? Um, I, and I, I think she'd be very interested if there in anything, um, anything else. Well, I'll tell you what, Mark's mugshot was all over everything as well, wasn't it, Mark, for this? Don't you want to be part of that exhibition? As Leonard says, the immunocompromised people are making history. This is what's happening. Mark? Yeah, exactly. And Patrick, thank you. And Miss Kitai, too, which also gave her a banner. Because, I mean, this is a group coming together saying that actually it's not fair that every Christmas we've been affected and definitely not fair the last three years. And all of a sudden this is making history. You're entering museums, your plight has been listened to, people are starting to listen and it's really where you want to go from there. But the fact that this is going to be a museum exhibit forevermore and what you guys did together the last six months is fantastic. And Patrick, thank you for giving your face to that along with Kita and everyone who went to the vigil. Absolutely, which leads me very nicely into next steps, because although we're back doing this, um, we're not going to keep doing it in the current format. So I'm going to throw something out to everybody. Um, we want to keep this going because we are making progress. We've heard it today. God, let's not lose the momentum. I have to step aside a bit, and so does Leonard, to get on with some other stuff. But I'm going to be not very far in the background. Neither is Leonard. But we need to think about the next iteration of what we do here. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be my podcast. What I'm talking about is maybe having a Twitter space event where you, patients, carers, can all have your say and keep that nexus going keep that conversation going because it's so important you have made massive strides but the guys that have been leading the, the charge on this need to step back and take a breath because it's affecting them we, we've heard mark talking about the toll it's taken on him i'm sure it's the same for so many of you some of you won't want to get involved technically we're trying to look into how we can facilitate that we might be able to get some sort of i don't know some some elf to help us from the leonard's establishment establishment that may be able to give us a bit of technical support we may be able to help train you but what we want to do is ask you what you would like would you like a chat room would you like a platform like this that you use twitter spaces in which case 
we give it over to you, but we would make sure that you knew what you were doing and we could help to guide you with some with some experience of what we've done here. So I would say to you, if you are interested in taking this forward, and I really implore you not to let this drop because there are hundreds of you that are tuning into this. And you will tune into this and you've done it in the previous uh, village halls. You've done it for the podcast. Don't let that go. I don't want you to and I won't let you. So let me help you to get to the next stage and run it yourselves. It doesn't have to be Zoom, Twitter spaces. It can be very simple, but you've got a connection now. Please, please use it. You've got some power. You've got some agency. If you want to get in touch, I think this is okay, Leonard. I think we agreed. You could get in touch with Leonard Lee in his Twitter account. And we will look through your comments about what you think should happen next. We'll discuss the options and we'll be back again, certainly, for another one of these in February. But it might be the last one of this kind. But we're not going to leave you hanging. Don't worry. We'll be in touch. But we want that conversation with you to say, do you want this conversation to go on in the digital space in some shape or form? Do you want it to be like this? Do you want it to be more streamlined, more audio? Are there other things that you can do to keep together? But please, please, please let us know what you think. Get in touch with Leonard Lee at his um, Twitter spaces. What's your handle again, Leonard? Dr. Leonard Lee. Dr. Leonard Lee. There we go. Anyone like to say anything at the end? In fact, let me just run through. Blanche, it's been a fascinating uh, session. So much to get through. How are you feeling about things now? Because there has been some movement. There has been movement. And I'm very pleased to hear from Mark that they may be some commentary as early as next week. Although, you know, the big issues are they need to resolve on an ongoing basis how to manage this nice in terms of, you know, deciding what data to use and how to how to make it how to make a decision because this is an ongoing thing. And given what I heard at the committee meeting, the complexity of it the idea that they're going to have decided enough to tell people by next Tuesday, I'm a bit amazed, I have to say. We so do. anyway, let's fingers crossed that they can do that because it is so in their interests. It's in our interests and it is in the interests of everybody that this is resolved and we can start to move forward without these major hiccups. It sounds like the points have landed with them. It's what they do next. So we'll wait and see, fingers crossed. Patrick, final thoughts. Um, well, I'm very um, uh, hopeful, I suppose, about the, um, the fact that these things all, are all being, being discussed now. And if we are going to get a nice decision next week, then yes, fingers crossed. Um, on the basis of recent experience, I'm, I'm not sort of, uh, I, I'm managing my expectations down, but I really do hope that, uh, that it will come out the, the right way. It's, it's definitely needed. All the, all the, 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 the most um, uh, asked about question in parliamentary history, then it really needs to be get properly addressed. Mark, Mark, thank you for being so frank about the fact that, that this is not sort of game over, I'm all sorted. I think it's really important that people hear that, you know, there's a legacy to all this stuff and the worry and the, the vigilance and uh, the continuing stress of, of even being protected to a certain extent by Evershell. But what are your final thoughts, having heard what we've discussed today, quite a range of things happening? Yeah, I, you know, my, my problems are my problems. Not everybody goes through that. Everybody's different, aren't they, and how they react and deal with it. You know, all I would say is if you need to talk to someone, talk to someone and, and reach out. There are, you know, there are services there through the NHS where you can just literally pick up the phone. Um, you know, don't deal with any of this on your own because for some people, 
it, it's a light burden to carry and they will make the transition going out there into the real world for other people it's an ongoing you know thing to deal with so don't deal with it alone ask for help because there are good people out there that will help great advice and finally leonard thanks claire i mean i just reflect we have all the patients who were immunovulnerable started off alone before we started you were just shouting out asking for help and no one's listening but i just think something amazing has happened you've changed history in the uk i mean museums want to put what you've done into their exhibits now um you pull you support each other you you've you've got people to listen and you've got parliament to listen which is great impossible things have happened um, i just think this has been a fantastic team race and and we've we pulled ahead so far we and i guess what happens this year is going to be key um but i think you will succeed you've got the clinical community behind this you've got the academic community as long as you stay strong i do think you can make lives better not just for covid but beyond it too because alex asked the question every year so many people end up in hospital because they're immunovulnerable where is the prioritization where was the willingness to fix this and actually if you can make your mark now in the next few months i think you potentially are in a fantastic place and and again thank you for all of the patient leads the supporters claire for giving up so much time and, and i'm really excited to see what happens in the terms of next step so am I, because you have come so far. And not just saying that, it is exciting. You're on the foothills of doing something amazing here. And please don't let this opportunity pass because so much progress has been made. Just another little nudge. And it's you, it's the patient voice that needs to get out there. Forget me, forget Leonard. The patients need to be heard. You need to keep agitating so that they don't drop the ball because they will. Something else will come along. We know what it's like. We know what politics is like. Keep pushing. We will help you all the way. Get in touch with Leonard on Twitter. Let us know what you think should happen next in terms of keeping this group alive and keeping it going. We are there to support you. We're not disappearing very far. So thank you. We've overshot the runway massively. Very, very chatty today, but lots of information. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us. Pass this on to anyone you think can be influential or interested in the subject. We, we've loved talking to you. We're going to do it again next month, as I say. For now, though, goodbye. Have a good day. Big thanks to the panel and to you all. Reminder, of course, we're looking to hand this baton on to you, the most important people in this push to get Evershell, the very people who need it. We're going to support you. We are keen to hear if you want to continue to build your alliances with the hundreds who turn up for the live stream, the podcast, or maybe catch up a little later in the week. Dr. Leonard Lee's Twitter accounts where you can send your responses to our invitation to keep this incredible cohort going. Uh, he's even made a QR code. So let's check that out and get some more information from Leonard. We promise we will be back for maybe the final Virtual Village Holland podcast later in February. But please, please, please rest assured none of us is going very far. We're just taking a sideways step. We're very much committed to getting you all off to a great start if this is something you reckon you want to do. Nobody wants to feel alone, uh, unlistened to and ignored by the decision makers. We can all do this. The worst that can happen is nothing happens. Let's see what we can do to keep the heat on this much deserved and horrendously overlooked issue. For now though, please take care of yourselves. We'll catch up again soon. Till then, hang in there and much love from us all.